I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Admission. For 35 years, Nancy Pelosi has represented San Francisco in Congress as a history-making politician. The first woman elected Speaker of the House in 2007. The first person in more than 60 years to hold that title twice when she was re-elected as her party's leader in 2019. On Thursday, she stood on the House floor and announced she was passing the baton. Scripture teaches us that for everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. My friends, no matter what title you all, my colleagues, have bestowed upon me, speaker, leader, whip, there is no greater official honor for me than to stand on this floor and to speak for the people of San Francisco. In a 15-minute speech, Pelosi said that she would remain in Congress, but is stepping down from Democratic leadership. The news marks the end of an era at a particularly significant time. Republicans just took back control of the House. Throughout her career, Pelosi has been well-known for her ability to deftly lead the Democratic caucus and effectively push back on Republicans. Now, there are big questions about the impact of her departure and who will succeed her. Back in October 2021, Representative Adam Schiff chatted with its all-political host Joe Garofoli about Pelosi's accomplishments and the qualities that her successor would need. Once I got to see Nancy Pelosi as speaker, um, I realized that in the future people were going to regret that they didn't get the chance to serve in Congress with Nancy Pelosi because I I really think that she is uh, probably the greatest speaker we've ever had. She's got the talent to keep the most diverse caucus ever uh, working together Um, and and at the same time often make it look easy. Uh, Whoever has that job next, whenever that time comes, and and I don't know when that time will come, but whoever has that job next is going to find out just how damned impossible it is. Someone who might have that job next is Hakeem Jeffries. He represents New York's 8th Congressional District, and he also discussed Pelosi's leadership with Joe Garofoli last year. She was really built for this moment and was the tip of the spear in leading us out of the Trump era, winning the House, governing, pushing back against Donald Trump and his excesses, and ultimately holding the House and helping to make sure we won the Senate and the presidency. What's clear to me is that she loves the caucus. She loves the Congress, the Constitution and the country. That is clear in everything that she does. Today on Fifth Emission, we're reflecting on what the end of Pelosi's reign means. We'll hear from John Lawrence, Pelosi's former chief of staff and the author of the book, Arc of Power, Inside Nancy Pelosi's Speakership 2005 through 2010. He'll share what made Pelosi an effective leader and what San Francisco residents can expect from their representative now. First, It's All Political on Fifth Emission host Joe Garofoli, joins me to reflect on this moment. Hey, Joe, how's it going? All right, Cecilia, how are you? Good. Let's talk about Nancy Pelosi. Big news that, you know, people have been speculating Mm -hmm. for some time. And people have been wondering what she was going to do next, especially after her husband was attacked a few weeks ago in San Francisco. Were you surprised by her decision? What were you expecting? Well, I'll put it to you this way. We had three stories written. <laughs> one, if she retires, one, if she runs for leadership again, and one, if she steps down from leadership. So we didn't think she was going to retire. And even halfway through her speech, I was still wondering, wait a minute, which way is this going to go? Is this is, she, is this a retirement speech or is this a, I'm going to step down from leadership speech? So 
In her speech Thursday morning, Pelosi did give little indication of maybe why she's stepping aside. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. And I'm grateful that so many are ready and willing to shoulder this awesome responsibility. Pelosi became the first woman to become Speaker of the House nearly two decades ago. How has the caucus changed since then? And how does this new generation that she speaks of, how does it compare to what Pelosi represents? Well, in 1987, when Pelosi entered uh, the Congress, there were 12 Democratic women. Now they're over 90. She said in her speech that the incoming members of the Democratic caucus will be 75% women, people of color, or LGBTQ folks. And one of the first issues that Pelosi talked about when she came into the Congress in 1987 was HIV AIDS. And she was one of the first people to do that. Obviously, it, it hit her home district very pointedly. But for context, President Reagan, who was the president at the time, he didn't even say the word AIDS until 1985, nearly five years into his presidency. And it was already a, you know, a full-blown epidemic at that point. Pelosi, I mean, still does represent arguably one of the most progressive districts in the country. But now there's people from members of Congress from all sorts of progressive districts in the country, you know, AOC and the squad and such. That is a different feature than there was back then. Mm -hmm. So what do you think, Joe, Pelosi's role will look like now in Congress? She's done so much to keep Democrats aligned. She understands how to manage that delegation. How much influence do you think she'll continue to have? Well, I think she'll be known as Speaker Emerita and sort of taking on the, the role, if you will, of the, the veteran person in the office who uh, you go to to say, wait, how do we do this? And uh, how do we used to do this? And what's you got any advice on this? It's It'll be that kind of thing. Although she was very pointed today when she spoke to reporters after her speech and she said, I'm not going to be, she said, I'm not going to be like the, uh, the mother-in-law in the other room saying, no, my son doesn't like the meatballs that way. <laughs> uh, she's, <laughs> she's, uh, she said she's going to take a hands-off approach and let the younger generation find their own way. It's hard to believe that they won't go to her for advice. You don't leave that resource untapped, especially in this Congress. It's There's such a sh small margin of advantage for the Republicans. Kevin McCarthy is never, who's the likely speaker, the Republican speaker, has never been known as a master tactician. Pelosi, you'd think, would be able to run circles around him. So whoever the incoming uh, Democratic leader is, I'm sure they will have Pelosi on speed dial. Mm. Now, Pelosi was keen to really thank San Francisco voters in her speech. She's represented San Francisco, California's 12th district in Congress for over 30 years. What does her step down as Democratic leader mean for San Francisco voters now? It will mean more time for the district. Pelosi was always very good about coming home regularly, but she was also on the road. You know, she would come home and then she would, you know, hit the road, go to three or four cities and raise money and boost up other candidates. She'll come home. I mean, for obviously for a couple of reasons. Number one, she will have more time. And number two, you know, to be with her husband, who's still recovering from the injuries from the brutal attack in their home last month. So we will probably be seeing more of Nancy Pelosi than we have in many years. Now, Representative Hakeem Jeffries is expected to succeed Pelosi. Republicans, as we know, has taken back control of the House. And Pelosi was just known for not being afraid to call Republicans out, to not give in to their threats. What will this new Democratic leader have to do now in order to be effective? They will have to do that. And they will also have to do what Pelosi did so masterfully, and that's keep this caucus together. 
She represented a very progressive district in San Francisco, but yet she was able to keep together representatives who were from other very much more conservative districts, the quote unquote blue dog Democrats. That takes this very unique skill set. And she was able to do that because she she knew everything about them. She knew their their personal histories, you know, what their districts looked like, what they needed. And she kind of wove that all together into a, a tapestry uh, we call a, a legislation, or she she often called uh, making the sausage. So that person will have to do that. It's And she had many, many sk- other skills. You know, she was the chief tactician. She was a political strategist. She was the f- fundraiser. And so, and she also knew the parliamentary rules very well. It's a, a big, big heels to fill. Now, Joe, when... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, was asked about Hakeem Jeffries filling in Pelosi's heels. She said, quote, there's a lot of healing that needs to be done in our caucus. What does she mean? What does that say about what House Democrats have to navigate internally now? Yeah, I I think, you know, one thing Pelosi was good at, for the most part, was keeping those type of squabbles in-house. You didn't hear a lot about that. That said, the progressive wing of the party has gained a lot of strength over the last couple of years. One of the first things that uh, AOC did when she was in the House was uh, she joined uh, some uh, climate protesters for a protest in Pelosi's office. And, you know, the first thing you thought of was like, whoa, that's pretty gutsy uh, from this newcomer. AOC is a star in her own right. But with that, over the years, the progressive wing of the party has grown much more powerful. We saw that evidenced in all the climate parts that were in the some of the infrastructure bill and the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. But that came at a cost. It was brutal. They wanted a lot more. And they were there was a lot of pushback from Democratic leadership said, hey, that's way too much. We didn't hear a lot about that, but behind the scenes, that was going on. So in terms of healing, I think that's what AOC may be alluding to. And it'll be interesting to see how much of that internal squabbling comes into public view now. So the next couple of months are going to be very interesting to watch both Democrats and Republicans navigate this new world. Joe, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for this insight. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. More with Joe Garofoli after a quick break. He'll hop into the host's seat and chat with John Lawrence. For nearly four decades, Lawrence served as a senior staff member in the U.S. House of Representatives. From 2005 to 2013, he was chief of staff to Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Joe Garofoli will ask him to reflect on Pelosi's decision to step aside as the Democratic caucus leader. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. For those who sent me here, for the people of San Francisco, for entrusting me with the high honor of being their voice in Congress. In this continued work, I will strive to honor the call of the patron saint of our city, St. Francis. That was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi thanking San Francisco voters during her speech Thursday morning when she announced that she would not seek a leadership role in the next Congress. It's All Political on Fifth Emission host Joe Garofoli spoke to John Lawrence, Pelosi's former chief of staff, shortly after the announcement was made. Lawrence wrote the book Arc of Power Inside Nancy Pelosi's Speakership 2005 to 2010. Here's his conversation with Joe Garofoli. What's your reaction to Speaker Pelosi announcing that she will not seek a leadership position? 
Well, it's it's a mixture of of feelings, really. I mean, I know going back as far as 2010, there were some mixed feelings about what role she would play, having gone from being speaker to being in the minority. She obviously decided to stay and to fight and get back the majority and pass really sweeping legislation when she did. I know how much she loves the institution. I know how devoted she is to constituents in San Francisco. And I think that's why she couldn't quite bring herself to walk away from the House. But, you know, after 20 years of the really indefatigable energy that she has brought to the speakership, I guess it's understandable that it's time to let a new, younger generation of leaders take over. Before we dive into to sort of Pelosi and her superpowers, what what can she do as Congresswoman Pelosi again, rather than Speaker Pelosi, Leader Pelosi, Whip Pelosi, all the titles she's held? Well, there are two things. I mean, one is that she has always taken very seriously, of course, the business of representing the district. And that, to be honest, with any leader, there's some sacrifice of time that goes into your ability to focus only on your constituents when you have the kind of pressure on you that's nonstop. So in some ways, this decision will allow her to continue to do what she's done for San Francisco-related issues over her career. Institutionally, what it does, I think, is to allow her to play more of a mentorship role. This new position that she will carve out for herself and invent, I think, will allow her to work with those younger members, allow them to benefit from her years in the leadership and her years as a senior member, but relieve her of all of the administrative and the political and oversight that goes with being the speaker or being the leader. So it can be a very vibrant and and very productive time for her. You mentioned a theme running through your book, Arc of Power, Inside Nancy Pelosi's Speakership 2005 to 2010, was that you sort of uh, her superpower is to bring together the disparate elements of the party. What was her superpower and how was she able to do that very successfully for all these years? She took the time to get to know her members. And instead of what I think a lot of people assume, which is that, that a successful leader in Congress twists arms and punishes people and takes away committee assignments and you know otherwise imposes their will. I always say that she follows the political philosophy of that great English political theoretician, Sir Mick Jagger. You don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. And she knows what those members need. She has this incredible antennae that go through the caucus and through the Democratic constituency and can patch those pieces together in a way that no other leader really has had the capability of of doing. Sometimes she would be quite frustrated. The staff would be as well that the expectation on the part of the senator, the expectation on the part of the White House would be, oh, it's so easy to do in the House because you have the rules and you're a powerful speaker and the majority makes all the decisions. And that's just a very naive view of how difficult it is to fashion a majority it takes an enormous amount of time and an enormous amount of patience. And, you know, I always tell the story about how far she would go to get people's votes. I, the image that always I conjure up is walking around the Minnesota State Fair in a pair of cowboy boots and jeans and eating a pork chop on a stick. <laughs> That's not a Pelosi, the Pelosi that we see around town. Yes, I was going to say there's not a lot of pieces of that imagery that will resonate with <laughs> folks uh, in San Francisco or Capitol Hill. Republicans are going to have the majority of the House by only a few votes. 
you'd think that this would be a time where they could use, uh, they being Democrats, could use someone with Nancy Pelosi's decades of skill and her uh, just her innate ability as a tactician. Where could they use her now? And how? what sort of jujitsu would they be missing without her in leadership? I think it remains to be seen exactly how the Republicans are able to organize themselves and what they're able to produce. Back in 2011, 2012, just after the period that I wrote about in, in Arc of Power, when the Democrats were in the minority, the Republicans had a much larger majority than they have today. What John Boehner discovered was that a lot of the people who had come into the Congress, the Republicans who had won under the banner of the Tea Party, viewed him as much of a problem as they viewed the Democrats almost. And they were not interested in voting for the very basic features of legislation that kept the government operating. And he had to repeatedly come over and ask Pelosi for 30 or 40 votes just to keep the lights on and the, you know, the social security checks and veterans benefits being mailed out. She would be able to do that as long as he made concessions to her. I think the problem here for for this new group of Republicans and whether it's Kevin McCarthy or not is, you know, McCarthy is 30 votes short on getting elected speaker. He's already made some concessions to conservatives that is that are going to constrain his strength as speaker to make some of the decisions that that Pelosi was able to make as speaker because of the broad powers she had. Nancy Pelosi was able to extract some significant concessions when that was the case in 2011, 2012. I don't know to what extent her successor is going to be able to do that or be willing to do that, given the level of partisanship and the inability of Republicans to control their own members in in the next Congress. I wanted to ask you a question about another one of Nancy Pelosi's superpowers is fundraising. She has raised over $1.2 billion, that's B billion, since her time in, in leadership over two decades. Why was she so effective at being a good fundraiser? Barbara Boxer told me that Nancy Pelosi convinced a chandelier to donate money. But so tell, that's one part. And then and the other part is, will she still have that ability when she's, again, Congresswoman Pelosi as opposed to Speaker Pelosi? I think that she is an effective fundraiser because, first of all, she can de- demonstrate to, to givers that she has the discipline that is worth investing in. And what I mean by that is a very disciplined approach to building a message, to finding the right candidates, to honing a limited agenda that can be marketed successfully. She is aspirational in terms of the policy goals that she sets out for the party. And, you know, she's she is a an exciting personality and not not every political leader, you know, can fill that bill. Many of them are sort of effective inside players, but they don't have the star quality, the sheer excitement that a Nancy Pelosi generates. Part of that may be because of her status as the first woman speaker. But part of it also is that she sells the Democratic message and then she delivers. If you look at this enormous litany of of legislation, you know, from climate to health to drug costs and infrastructure and jobs and human rights, you know, across the board, Nancy Pelosi has been a pretty good investment for people who are committed to those issues and are prepared to put their money where their mouth is. And what will Democrats miss most about 
Pelosi when she's gone from leadership? What will we realize in six months and three months and a year? Joe, answering that question presumes that the next generation of leaders is going to be somehow deficient. And I don't know that that's true. But I what I can say, it's probably going to take a few people to do what Nancy Pelosi did on her own. You know, George <laughs> Miller, my old boss from Contra Costa County, used to she is the she's the entire package. OK, she is the campaign strategist. She is the fundraiser. She is the policy maven. She is the internal caucus strategist. She is the House negotiator. You know, she is the whole deal. And George Miller, frankly, was saying that in 1987 when she arrived. He used to take her around the halls and say she's going to be the first woman speaker of the House. And people didn't even know who she was. I don't know that there's anybody who can step into her position and fulfill all of those responsibilities. It may end up being more of a team effort. And and I think that's what people will realize. I remember, you know, that somebody saying once that uh, Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did, but she did it backwards and in heels. I think people may end up being surprised at what Nancy Pelosi made look easy. It wasn't easy. It never was. And there's a little bit of resentment when people would assume it was all that easy. But I think they'll probably get a sense of how much she accomplished. John Lawrence, the book is called Arc of Power Inside Nancy Pelosi's Speakership, 2005 to 2010. Thank you so much for being on Fifth and Mission. Thanks so much, Joe. It's been a real pleasure. John Lawrence is the former chief of staff to Speaker Nancy Pelosi. He's also the author of the book, Arc of Power, Inside Nancy Pelosi's Speakership, 2005 to 2010. For ongoing coverage of D.C. and other political news, visit sfchronicle.com and the Chronicle app. Thank you to Gary Baca for editing this episode, to King Kaufman and Sarah Feldberg for the production help, and to you for listening. <laughs>